Hello, and welcome to this Speedless installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the Western subgenre of cowboys and dinosaurs, all in under 30 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but usually ride solo for these speedless and bonus installments. Today, however, I'm joined from Sarasota, Florida by my buddy Tim DeForest. Tim is a knowledgeable Western fan as well as a maven for all things comics, pulp, and popular culture. He reviews books and posts regularly on his blog, comics, old-time radio, and other cool stuff, which can be found at comicsradio.blogspot.com. He has written three books and a number of short ebooks about old-time radio, pulp magazines, classic comic strips, and Christian theology. He's also written numerous magazine articles covering subjects such as military history and the American West. He teaches Bible studies at his church, assists with the children's ministry, and has been on short-term mission trips to South Sudan, Haiti, Guatemala, and Turkey. Hey, friend. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. In reality, it's you we have to blame for the strange rabbit hole of cowboys and dinosaurs that we're going to go down today, because all this started with you sending me a message on Facebook saying, this is probably a dumb idea, but... And then we got carried away with the whole idea of cowboys and dinosaurs. I love things that start out, this may be a dumb idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went through that phase when I was eight years old where I just thought dinosaurs were awesome, and then I never grew out of it. So... I pretty much think anything is better with dinosaurs. If it had been the Magnificent Eight with a Velociraptor, it would have been a better movie. <laughs> I like that approach. Mm -hmm. And of course, everything's more awesome with cowboys. And you put cowboys and dinosaurs together, and I think we've got a winner. Although, there's only a few things that really relate to this. I agree, yes. But there have been some magnificent ones. The Valley of Guanji, the Ray Harryhausen movie made in 1969, I think is the best example of dinosaurs and cowboys put together. It really is the standard bearer for the subgenre. It's a cult film. You either love it or hate it. Mm -hmm. There's no in-between. I agree. Yeah, it's a great movie. It was based on an idea by Willis O'Brien, who's the stop-motion animation pioneer, and eventually brought to life by Ray Harryhausen, who learned his craft from O'Brien. The special effects are just magnificent. The dinosaurs look great. They have their own personalities. It just looks wonderful. If you're a dinosaur fan, you cannot fail to love this movie. A G-rated favorite popcorn flick starring James Franciscus from Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Gila Golan from Our Man Flint, Richard Carlson from The Creature of the Black Lagoon, and, oh, who are we kidding? The real stars here are the prehistoric beasties, animated by Ray Harryhausen, who did Jason and the Argonauts in The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Franciscus plays Tuck Kirby, a former stuntman now employed by Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, who's reunited with his ex-lover, T.J. Breckenridge, played by Golan, as they venture into a remote area of Mexico, a place called Forbidden Valley. But they don't take the hint. They go there to locate an attraction for Breckenridge's failing rodeo. That's where they encounter, among other prehistoric creatures, a ferocious Allosaurus, a.k.a. Gwangi. That, in turn, leads to what I think is the greatest single scene in cinematic history, which is cowboys on horseback valiantly trying to lasso and subdue a dinosaur. It is just magnificent. Not surprisingly, nothing good comes of this. I understand the plot was probably inspired by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's book, The Lost World, from 1912, and they added in elements of King Kong capturing a creature and bringing it to civilization where it runs amok. 
Willis O'Brien, who was supposed to do this film, died before he could get this film off the ground. He did, yes. It was always one of his great unmade projects. And Harry Hudson got a chance to bring it to life, and he did. Now, The Beast of Hollow Mountain, it's the same film, only it's made by somebody else and was produced in 1956, a Weird West horror film. They were actually both based on Willis O'Brien, although they took it in slightly different directions. The Beast of Hollow Mountain starts with cattle going missing, and they discover the culprit is a T-Rex who lives on the titular mountain. It doesn't have O'Brien's special effects, so the T-Rex ends up looking a little bit silly, but all the same, it's good fun. And it comes to a satisfying conclusion when the hero lures the T-Rex into a tar pit. That was the thing with stop motion. It's either very good or very bad. Valley of Guanji was very good, but mm -hmm. Beast of Hollow Mountain just really didn't live up to the hype. And that's why it's not as well known. I agree completely. Yeah. You need a real artist doing the stop motion animation to make it work. Someone who knows not just the technical aspect, but has the ability to bring those monsters to life, make them seem like they're real with their own personalities. Harry Hausen was really a master of this trade, more so than anybody else. His stop motion effects are the standard, and I don't think anybody's ever done it better. He was the master. Valley of Gwangi was popular enough, it spawned a Dell comic book, a one-off film adaptation, written by Jack Sparling. Yes, and with artwork by Alex Toth, one of the best comic book artists in history. It was blessed as a movie by having the single best stop-motion animator working on it, and blessed as a comic book by having one of the best artists bringing it to life in that media. I've seen the comic book where it was published on a blog, and I read through it. It's a really good adaptation. Mm -hmm, it is. I think it's very faithful, and it's just a way of enjoying the story in another form. And you're talking about one of the best comic book illustrators of all time, Alex Toth, but the movie poster for Valley of Gwangi was by Frank McCarthy, who is just my favorite poster artist. It's a great looking poster. And I think all of that adds up to the cult of what makes this film a perennial favorite for those of us that are aware of its existence. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a cult film, but it's worth watching, whether you're a dinosaur fan or a cowboy fan. Watching cowboys trying to lasso an Allosaurus is just one of the high points of your life. <laughs> now, you told me there's a novel called Tiny Two Claws by Brett Davis. Have you read that? I have, and it is actually a sequel. It was the second of two books about dinosaurs in the Old West. The first one was called Bone Wars by Brett Davis, published in 1988. It's set in Montana in 1976. The protagonists are real-life paleontologists Othniel Charles Marsh and Edward Drinker Cope. These <laughs> two men were real-life arch enemies as well. They hated each other with a passion. They would rush to try and discover fossils first and publish findings first. And they would occasionally hire people to sabotage each other's fossil digs. They were brilliant scientists whose ego and hatred for each other kind of spoiled their legacy. In the novel Bone Wars, they're forced together in an adventure involving aliens who had visited Earth millions of years ago and were themselves looking to find dinosaur fossils. It's just a great book that combines humor with adventure, and it gives Professor Marsh a chance to ride bareback on a holographic hard light recreation of a dinosaur. Something I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who wouldn't want to do that? The sequel's Tiny Two Claws. That's set in 1907. 
And it involves another real-life paleontologist, Barnum Brown, who encounters the same aliens, also encounters some holographic dinosaurs, and there's a sharpshooting bank robber tossed into the mix to make things even more dangerous. They're both a lot of fun to read. Now, we got to go there, I guess. We're talking cowboys and dinosaurs, but both of these books also have Cowboys and Aliens, which was a major motion picture that really didn't do very well, although I quite enjoyed it for what it was. I still haven't seen that. That's on my list of things that I've never gotten around to watching. I don't think your life is any less. If you want to kill a couple of hours, it's not that offensive by any stretch of the imagination. It's a good action movie. Cope and Marsh, the two real paleontologists who hate each other, Mm -hmm. they were also the characters in a short story by Sharon N. Faber. Have you read that one? I have, yes. It was originally published in Isaac Asimov's Science Fiction Magazine in 1988. It was called The Last Thunder Horse West of the Mississippi. This one involves Cope and Marsh competing to be the first one to examine a living dinosaur that's been found by some drunken outlaws, one of whom telegraphs them about it because he's hoping they'll pay him money. So Cope and Marsh show up about the same time, but their raw rivalry, the, the unreliability of the outlaws and their tendency to shoot at people and the inconvenient use of some dynamite ends up putting both their lives at serious risk. It's another case where the author combines adventure and humor really well. I guess it's hard to put Cope and Marsh in a story without making fun of them. We're talking cowboys and dinosaurs here. And I have this thing in my head where the dinosaurs are wearing the cowboy hats and twirling six guns themselves. <laughs> I think that's difficult if you got short arms like the T-Rex, right? You can't reach down to your holster on your hips. I, I don't think he'd be much on a fast row. He'd probably have to wear some sort of shoulder holster. Yeah, but he'd eat you rather than shoot you. That's true, too. <laughs> There's a comic series, Turok, Son of Stone. Do you feel that fits into this subgenre? It kind of does. It is set in the American Southwest, but it's in pre-Columbia days. And most of it's set in a very large lost valley full of cavemen and dinosaurs in which the two lead characters who are Indians get trapped in. But I kind of consider it part of that genre. I'm going to have to check it out because I know the title, but I've never read it. I've always thought of it as a Tarzan ripoff of some kind. But because we're talking about it in connection to this subgenre, I think I'm going to make an effort to track some issues down and see what it's all about. Yeah, it really has its own personality. It's Turok and his young friend Andar are trapped in this valley trying to find their way out. They coat their arrows with poison, which make them effective weapons of mass destruction against dinosaurs, and they're searching for a way out. And it ran for 125 issues. It had excellent art, often provided by an Italian artist named Alberto Giolitti, who really should be better known for the quality of his art than he is. And the stories didn't depend just on hungry dinosaurs, but they were designed to put Turok and Ander in situations where they had to use their brains as well as their bows and arrows to get out of danger. The heart of the series, I think, was the mentor-student relationship between the two characters. It made them very identifiable and very likable. Fascinating. It sounds like it's right up my alley, so I guess I've been missing out all these years. It's one of my favorite comic book series. I read it first as a kid, but as an adult, I think the stories hold up, both in terms of how well-constructed the plots are and in the quality of the artwork. We're talking about the artwork. I have actually checked out a book you told me about of great art titled Dinosaurs of the Wild West by Sean Keenan. It's a collection of illustrations depicting the everyday lives of dinosaurs and people living together in the Old West. It's a cool concept, and the art in it is fantastic. 
It really is. Yeah, I just stumbled across its existence a year or two ago, and it was something I immediately had to buy. It's like I literally had no free will in this area. I needed to own this book. The artwork really is a lot of fun. It's very kinetic, fun to look at, and it's just a great concept. One of the other things about the subgenre of dinosaurs and cowboys that I want to talk about is, in reality, there's this modern-day cowboys and dinosaurs concept, but it's not real, live, living dinosaurs. It's the battle over dinosaur fossils. You talked a little bit about that with our two rival paleontologists in the other stories. There's also an entry in the Longmire book series, Dry Bones, which has to do with the discovery and dispute over the remains of a very large dinosaur. They even did an episode of the Longmire TV show called A Good Death is Hard to Find, dealing with a dinosaur bone thief. I think the genre is flexible enough to include these. I agree. Yes. I think those would easily qualify within this genre. I know there was a Michael Crichton book published posthumously just a few years ago called Dragon Teeth about a dinosaur. In this case, I think it's T-Rex teeth being passed from person to person in the Old West. I haven't read it yet. I want to. My understanding is that Cope and Marsh reappear in this book as well. Those guys are everywhere. They're they here. Are. They're there. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Cope yeah. and Marsh. They get carried away ir- sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's the irony of their lives that their rivalry and their basic childishness with each other makes them memorable rather than their scientific accomplishments. I'm sure if they are around in whatever afterlife there is, they're ticked about that and go, why did we have to do that? That's our punishment for being the way we were. Yeah, but they're undoubtedly still blaming each other over that. In that case, they probably went the other way rather than... uh, (laughs) The devil likes a good dispute. Uh, He does. There was a specific Cowboys versus Dinosaurs movie for TV that was made in 2015. It's a modern Western take on the theme where you have a team of scientists in search of iridium, and they get a team of miners to blast their way into a vast subterranean cavern in the small town of Livingston, Montana. But of course, instead of finding a rich source of the rare element, the unsuspecting crew comes face to face with the hidden primeval terror as swift velociraptors emerge from the depth of the earth and start attacking them. Under the orders of the mine's greedy owner, the workers need to get back to work, but before long, a horde of scaly prehistoric predators turns the city into an endless buffet. Can Livingston's cowboys and cowgirls make the dinosaurs stay extinct is the big question of the movie. Oh, that's another one I haven't seen yet myself, but it's one I would be drawn to watch, because if it has dinosaurs in it, it can't be all bad. The Vasilloraptors are such a cliche from Jurassic Jurassic. Park. They seem to pop up in everything because they're so fast. Yeah, they're handy bad guys to have, and they have become a cliche. I think they were very little known amongst the general public for Jurassic Park. Now they're the go-to dinosaurs anytime anybody makes a movie. Well, any good James Bond villain needs a horde of minions. Mm. And I think any good T-Rex needs a horde of Vasilloraptors to fill that role. That makes sense to me. In a storytelling sense, it does. You have this one threat that is bad in and of itself, but it doesn't live up to the huge threat of the T-Rex, which is generally coming in these types of situations. Yeah, that does make sense. Michael Crichton certainly used that dynamic in the original Jurassic Park novel. Also from the modern era, there's the second season of a show on the Discovery Channel called Dino Hunters, appropriately titled Cowboys and Dinos. 
And here you have cowboys and ranchers who rely on their deep knowledge of the land to search for prehistoric dinosaur fossils. There we go again. From T-Rexes and Triceratops to discovering a rare and disputed dinosaur species that might very well have scientific impact beyond the TV series. So a reality show, I think it's a bit long-winded, but it's right there in this subgenre. Yeah, I agree. This is a subgenre, I think, that's probably more flexible than you would first give it credit for being. One other book that was just mentioned on the last Paperback Warrior podcast is The Trail of Lost Skulls by Nelson Nye, which apparently also does involve the the search for dinosaur bones. There was a show that I mentioned to you when we were looking up for references for Cowboys and Dinosaurs. That's on Disney+. And you told me that you actually sat down and watched an episode or two. I did. It's called Dino Ranch. It is a CGI kid series, obviously aimed at probably elementary school kids. It is set on a ranch where everybody is riding dinosaurs. I don't believe any background or justification is given. It's just how that universe works. The one I watched, they were trying to teach a baby dinosaur to get along with other dinosaurs. And one of the kids was learning that he had to work with the other kids in order to get this done. So it was designed to tell what was hopefully a fun story and have a little lesson for the kids as well, something you would expect from a show done for that age group. I did not regret watching it. It was a fun, cute little episode. Interesting. I don't know that I'll check it out myself, but I'm very glad that you did for us. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I took the bullet for that one. Okay. Now, here's the shocker that I had for you. There's a tourist attraction in Natural Bridge, Virginia, called Dinosaur Kingdom 2. And I guess it used to be called Escape from Dinosaur Kingdom. And it has all of these statues which depict a dinosaur attack on the Union Army. Yes, you sent me some information on that and some pictures, and I looked up even more. And it has become my major life purpose to convince my wife that we need to go on a trip to see this place. It just looked absolutely wonderful. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. The park contains 30 fiberglass dinosaur statues a smaller number of Union soldiers and several other characters, including Abraham Lincoln and a gorilla in a cowboy hat. (laughs) So if you can have Abraham Lincoln versus vampires, why can't you have Abraham Lincoln versus dinosaurs? It makes perfect sense to me. Abe finding dinosaurs is actually even a little bit cooler, I think, than him fighting vampires. So Dinosaur Kingdom opened in 2005, and it was the work of a local artist by the name of Mark Klein, who also created the nearby Foamhenge. And I guess we can figure out what that is just by the name Foamhenge. I think so, yes. So it's Stonehenge made out of foam. Probably. I haven't seen pictures of it yet, but I think that's a safe assumption. Mm -hmm. In Dinosaur Kingdom, the park statues are built around the premise that paleontologists discovered dinosaurs in Virginia in 1863 when the Union Army attempted to use the dinosaurs as weapons. And then the dinosaurs turned on them. This is so cool. Klein originally planned to have the dinosaurs besiege Pancho Villa's army, but chose to use the Union Army instead to win local favor, claiming people still fight the Civil War down here. They're still fighting it probably, but not with dinosaurs, fortunately. Fortunately not. I believe I read that he had plans to hopefully one day do Pickett's Charge recreation with dinosaurs so he could have them picking on the Confederates as well. How cool is that? It is epically cool. He admits that he was inspired by the movie, The Valley of Gwangi, which is where we started with all of this. He says that the Northerners have never complained about playing the villain in the attraction, 
As you said, he plans to open a similar park at Gettysburg, reenacting Pickett's charge with dinosaurs, in which the Confederates will be attacked. So even-handed treatment of both sides. Now, I could probably talk Angela into a trip to Gettysburg. So if he has the dinosaurs set up there by then, that would be just an added bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else in the dinosaurs and cowboy pantheon that you know about that we haven't mentioned yet? You said something about an essay you were reading on dinosaurs and cowboys in comic books. Yes, there were a number of Silver Age comic books that used the concept. Ken Maynard, number seven, published in 1951, was one of many books where a B-movie cowboy was made the hero. In this issue, he leads a photographer to a place called Horror Hollow, where he encounters a big dinosaur. From 1954, Straight Arrow, number 39, had a story with a Cheyenne warrior named Red Hawk, who had to defend his tribe first against attacking crow warriors and then from an attacking T-Rex. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created a Western hero named Bullseye, who encountered a pterodactyl in the third issue of his series in 1955. So dinosaurs and cowboys have been around for quite some time. Gosh, I love this stuff. (laughs) The Western (laughs) genre is so flexible. It it always constantly amazes me. The other thing I learned from that essay was the Revolutionary War hero Tomahawk. During his 140-issue run, he encountered dinosaurs eight different times. So apparently on the frontier during the revolution, dinosaurs were not that uncommon. Wow. Let's hope they don't make a comeback anytime soon. I don't know. If I get one as a pet, I might not say no to that. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, thanks for joining me today on the Six Gun Justice podcast, Speed Listen. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge of all things cowboys and dinosaurs. And hopefully you and I will talk again soon. Thank you. I've really enjoyed doing this. Once again, I appreciate your asking me to be a guest. Thanks for listening to this bonus Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice Speed Listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep your lassos away from the T-Rex. Adios, I'm out of here. Let's ride. (laughs) 